Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into true crime cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of true crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel and I'm Megan. And we have today's case to th- we or who bleh, off to a strong start, Charnel. That's okay. I was going to I almost introduced myself as Amber. <laughs> I should have done it. I should have done it just for the fuck of it. <laughs> now you have to edit all that out. No, that's funny. I'm keeping it. That is funny. It's I've listened to I'm a fan and yep. I listen so many times and I still listen to old episodes. I legit almost said I'm Amber. <laughs> Sorry. True story. Uh, when we first got started, I almost introduced the podcast as a different podcast because I had binged a, podca- a podcast all day before recording. <laughs> I love and that. So I, and we had to stop recording because I was like, I, oh my God, Amber. That's not us. I, that is not us. I almost just said the wrong podcast name because it's just in your head, right? <laughs> yeah. And you always hear me say, Hi, I'm this Charnel, is Charnel and yep. I'm Amber. I just yes. listened to one earlier, actually. That's why. Oh God, so, that's so it was funny. Just in my head. Yep. I didn't say it though. I just, <laughs> yep. Hi, everybody. Uh, it's nice to see you again. Yeah. This is Megan in the studio today. I know I am. I am Megan. Good. At least I'm wearing her underwear. Oh, so. perfect. So we're just going to call you Megan. Okay. Then. That makes you Megan. Um, <laughs> we have a very special f- listener pick today. We talk about him a lot. He is responsible for... Kangaroo Sack Jason. Yes. Kangaroo Sack Jason. Not that he has a kangaroo sack. Oh, no. He no. provided us with one. He did. With our, and, our, and then we've got our beautiful Patreon who gave us our, our six little crystal dicks that we shake before each episode for good luck. An but, homage to Jason. Can you hear it? There it is. Jason sent me quite some time ago, actually. Uh, but you will understand in a minute why I had to be in the right mindset to research this case. This is the case of... The murder of Hannah Clark and her three beautiful children. Oh, God, Charnel. Jason. And it is a domestic violence case. So just so everyone knows off the right out the gate what we're dealing with, if this isn't your thing, then, you know, maybe just skip to the brain bath because the brain bath is epic. Excellent. Um, so thank you, Jason, because... I, I did have to be in the right mood, which is why it kind of goes with the case that I covered um, this the last episode that we covered. It was kind of all the same thing, so I got it all over it, it, all at all at once, all the dirty research over at at once. You got it all over you. All I at did. Once. I that did. Just and now we're just plugging through phrasing, <laughs> phrasing. So let me tell you about the gorgeous. I know so many of you are looking up pictures of this beautiful family right now, and when you do, you will little literally gasp. When you see how beautiful Hannah and her three children are, like could have been models, they're gorgeous. And when you see them, it will break your heart even more for what happens. But Hannah Clark, and I am not calling her by her married name since this is a domestic violence case. We're calling her Hannah Clark. She was born September 8th, 1988 to her parents, Lou and Sue, Lou, Lloyd and Sue Clark, <laughs> not Lou and Sue. I'm so sorry. It's, okay, it's not their names. It did. Yes, Lloyd and Sue Clark. You went into Dr. Seuss mode to protect your heart. I think I did. You're right. I will not read this in a box. I will not read this with a fox. Oh, 
you're so that's exactly I think what I did our brains do things to Mm -hmm. help us Lou and Slew Slew Lou and Slew it's getting worse Charnel she's reverted to kindergarten right now so it's gonna break us um so Hannah was described as being bright and bubbly and full of empathy she was the embodiment of selflessness which we will see holy shit what this woman does is amazing she did have a competitive edge in her she was a personal trainer in a gym and this girl was fit uh she her soul touched the lives of everyone that she knew and her smile really was infectious it's not like one of those she lit up a room things like literally she did when you google her you're going to be like why wasn't i born with those teeth in that smile oh god okay um so she meets new zealand born rowan baxterd okay he is 11 years her senior and he met her when she was just 19. So he's 31. You know, she was like 1920. He was 31, 32. He was a former rugby league player who played for the New Zealand Warriors, actually. And a he, pro athlete. He is the epitome of what our friend Jason would call a meathead. Okay. All right. You look at him. He doesn't have two brain cells to rub together. And he's got far too much testosterone and steroid-induced muscles to do anyone any good. Does he have a neck? Mm, Yeah, he does have a neck. He's not that much of a bodybuilder because he didn't have, he was so narcissistic that he just liked to pretend like he was physically fit and a bodybuilder, but he wasn't actually very good at it. All right. he's He's a former rugby player. Hannah was damn good at it, and that's part of the problem because she was better than him. <laughs> yeah. Go girl. So the moment that Sue Clark, her mother, laid eyes on Rowan Baxter, she did not like him. She had a mother's instinct, and she, I mean, rightfully, rightfully so. Um, he, of course, had the swagger of an ex-football player, and he, you know, was packing his stocky muscle build. She didn't love that he was 11 years older. Now, my husband and I are 11 years apart. But you weren't 19. I was not 19. And furthermore, he also doesn't act like a muscle-bound monkey like this, right? So at the time, he was still living with his ex-wife, who would become his ex-wife, when he started dating Hannah, and Hannah introduced him to her parents, which he assured Hannah's family he was simply doing for his child like I am not in love with her anymore she's not in love with me we're simply living together because we share a son and so I'm doing it for them for him okay well they end up getting a divorce weird Mm -hmm. and he proposed to Hannah in 2011 and they got married in Kingscliff New South Wales in 2012 the reason Jason um, our Aussie Jason recommended this case is because it is an Australian case. Okay. I will spare you my Australian accent, although I watched several things on this and was practically drooling over their voices. <laughs> I love it. So the two do end up having three children together, Trey, Leanna, and Aaliyah. And they went to school in Brisbane. So I want to tell you a little bit about the kids. Aaliyah, uh, who was six at the time, of these horrific events. She was very described by her grandmother as being very articulate and bright. She was reading ahead of her year at school and she liked to tell stories to her younger siblings. 
She was also really into being physically fit and strong like her mom and dad. And she was always trying to cop to copy her mother's CrossFit routines and like <laughs> do them with her, which I can just picture so perfectly. Oh, I can too. That's adorable. So in her grandmother's words, she was, quote, a good kid, a strong child, end quote. Liana. Liana, who was four years old. And she was very, she was described as being uh, the craziest of the trio. She liked to do things to make others laugh. She liked to play the role of like the little dynamo in, you know, their little life, their like family life. So Trey was only three at the time of the of horrific, horrific murders. And he was described as being the apple of his mother's eye, very much a mommy's boy. He was sweet and sporty, and he knew how to kick and pass a football, even by three years old. He had the makings of a sports star. And these children, you guys, are seriously so freaking gorgeous. I'll tell you a little bit about Rowan Baxter. It is Baxter, but we just have to degrade him somehow. So far, I love it. Uh, He was obsessed with the gym. He was a personal trainer as well, but typically just like all hopped up on adrenaline and he wasn't very nice when he, he, he really didn't do well as a personal trainer in terms of making money because he didn't keep a lot of his clients because he was an asshole. So they would fire him. Took the personal out of trainer right there. Yes. Personable is necessary to be personal. Yep. Yep. And I'll tell you a, a story that we have about what his training tactics are like, but I didn't dive like a ton into his background because honestly, uh, with what I know through my couple of decades in the social work field here that I've had at this point in time in my life, I know all about the power and control wheel and narcissism and domestic violence. And so I know that this fecal smear would enjoy us talking about him. Absolutely. And telling the world about his childhood and yada, 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 and, and, and just talking about him in general. But literally, I'm only going to tell you what I think we should know about him. And that's the, besides him being a total wanker, is that everyone describes him, and I loved this, as, quote, not being too bright. Here in America, that's another word for calling someone a fucking dumbass. Or an idiot. Yep. I so he it. is. He couldn't remember his own bank pin number, would have to rely on Hannah for that. He called his gym clients pigs on social media because he had to refill the men's soap in the bathroom three times, but not the woman's. So he was assuming that the women weren't washing their hands. But do you think, Megan, that it could be that maybe this particular gym has way more male customers than it does female customers. Just and in that general. might be why. With how gyms work, yes. But like this ingrown ass hair couldn't think of that. Instead, he just wanted to call his customers pigs. Well, you're describing a classic misogynist so far. Exactly. He also was said to be so dumb that he forgot to register his car and didn't realize he was supposed to. He never earned. No one told me. No one told him. This all comes out in the investigation that happens afterwards. And I will explain to you why there was an investigation afterwards. He never earned enough money to support his family. That that burden fell on Hannah. Him and Hannah had opened a gym together, but they didn't have the financial means. So Hannah's family, Hannah's parents actually helped. They're the financial backers. Support. Yep. This gym. So she was taking a personal lesson. 
her mother-in-law, so Sue Clark, was taking a lesson with Baxter one day. And he deliberately dropped her on her head, which busted her face open. And his mother-in-law? His mother-in-law. And then he proceeded to laugh at her, even though she was financing this gym, okay? And literally her husband was there and saw the whole thing. And he still had the audacity to laugh at her, make fun of her for her lack of coordination, but it was him who dropped her. And she's laying there bleeding. And she's bleeding. And he was not helping her, of course. Uh, you know, yes. Um, the other thing that was very commonly said was that he was extremely threatened by his wife's physical fitness and the fact that she was way, 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 those are my words, out of his league. Um, so that is basically all I feel like you need to know about Asquatch. I, the, the name he, change is fantastic. He just... He doesn't need an, us to know anything more about him. I know enough. Now, despite their reservations, he does eventually kind of win over Hannah's parents because I, I really think they get to this point where they have no choice. He's not going anywhere. Right. But Sue actually said that at first, in the first parts of their marriage, classic narcissism, um, he was very lovely, course, you know, love bombing. Think of those tactics, yeah. right? And you're you're putting on a show. Yes, you're and acting. that's what he was doing. But the minute that children arrived, guess what happens? The entire relationship started to sour. Well, weirdly, you are no longer the center of attention at this point, and the children right. are. Yep. Ruins everything for a narcissist. Uh -huh. Yep. So here Hannah and, and Rowan are trying to run their business. It was called Integrate 8 and CrossFit SMC in Mansfield. Sue had invested money, you know, to help them kind of get on their own feet or whatnot. But it was owned by the Clarks, not by Hannah and Rowan. And, and it didn't matter because he berated their customers. He would call them fat and lazy. And then things started to kind of change where he would describe, like he would say things like Hannah had misbehaved. Hannah, his adult wife, had misbehaved, so he would punish the family by not allowing her, Sue, and husband access to the children, right? To babysit the children. Isolation and denial. Yes. Oh, yep, absolutely. Yep. He also did this with, Hannah was very close with her brother. Her brother did not like Asquatch. I can see that. Of course. So what does he do? Destroyed the relationship, and they didn't have contact. She, Sue later told media outlets that being around him was like walking on eggshells. Egg she could never say what she really thought. How many okay. times have we heard this in these situations? Oh, exactly. Walking on eggshells is repeated over oh, and over. Yep. You, this will not surprise like you the either. Chorus of the domestic violence song. Mm -hmm. It really, yes, it really is. This one also would be in that song. He demanded sex every single day. Oh, it was her duty. Every day. Absolutely. And if she didn't, then he took it out on the kids. He took it out on her. At times, he would choke her during the act non-consensually, but then claim it was for his own erotic, you know, reasoning. So Hannah didn't realize that she was a victim at that point in time of, of rape and assault. She got to the point where she would comply to make her life easier. It's called coercion okay there's a thing about cohesive control and hannah did not know about it she did not know that you could be a victim of domestic violence even if the 
person has not laid hands on you physically to cause harm. And these are the things that she would tell her family was happening and her close friends, and they would try to get her to understand that this isn't normal. This isn't husband, typical husband relationship um, demands or expectations. And she just felt like she wasn't a victim because she wasn't being physically harmed. She wasn't being hit or punched. Yep. That's and for her many where victims. The, mm-hmm, yep. Where the line was. Yep. Mm-hmm. They think that's the domestic violence definition. Right. And just to surface scratch some of the rules that he had, because I'm sure over the course of their, I think it was an 11 year marriage. I'm sure the things that we know that came out in this afterwards investigation is just, just the tip of the iceberg. Okay. But these are things that she was willing to tell her family and friends that things like she couldn't wear shorts or the color pink. (laughs) because sorry I just giggled randomly it just that's weird well he could she couldn't she was a trainer she couldn't wear shorts to the gym because it would attract other men she couldn't wear pink because it was attracting attention also something that you should know Hannah beat him all the time at special certifications for like CrossFit and whatnot in the physical aspect he could never pass those tests so she had more accolades and more certifications because she was more physically fit and and uh, you know uh what is the word that I'm looking competent yeah at, at that she had ema- she had emasculated him yeah this is her fault that's yeah. how he's looking yeah. at it so you can't wear pink because you're drawing attention to yourself you can't, can't wear, wear shorts, shorts at a gym mm-hmm. as typical he alone decided who she could and could not have contact with. Oh, so he's picking her clients. Yes. Uh, not only that, but friends as well. Even during training sessions, he would become jealous and angry if his wife performed better than him and attempted to undermine her achievement achievements by accusing her of cheating or not doing the routines properly. So like when he when she got these special certifications and whatnot, he literally in front of other people would accuse her of cheating on them. Even Dude, though financially it would benefit him of as well. Of course it did. Mm-mm. This is the type of guy he is. Now, Kylie Booth gave evidence during the afterwards investigation, who was a friend of her, hers, Hannah's, that said that he would call Hannah fat behind closed doors, berating her body image while saying that she needed to lose weight and get back into shape. Okay. This woman was completely always in shape. She, I'm sure, is one of them that after she gave birth, she had a six pack. Probably. Like, like yeah. Slipped her yep. size one back on and. Yes, exactly. Instead of her husband's pants. His children were, as we typically see, they were just possessions to him. He was rough with each of them. Like, he would pretend to play fight. And if they would get hurt, he would just berate them and call them names. There was one story I read where I believe that it was Aaliyah. I think it was Aaliyah. She was spunky and her, she hit her head on a door frame and like they had to go and get stitches and he acted like it was her fault, but they were wrestling and he was too rough and he was the one who hit her head on the door frame. You know, things like that. It was Aaliyah. I just came across it in my notes. So this one really disturbed me, Megan. I almost called you Jennifer and I have no idea why I don't even know a Jennifer. Is she another podcast nope. host that's no longer with you? <laughs> I've only had one. Please. Okay. I'm just looking around like, should I be worried? There's a tarp in the corner. Nope. I, there's you not drained even a, the pool. There's not even a Jennifer in this case. No. I don't know where it came from. Uh, so anyway, this Nicole Brooks, another childhood friend, she was the one that told investigators about the doorframe incident. But she said she recalled, too, when Asquatch would make the kids partake in the post-workout ice baths. So three-year-old Trey would be put 
screaming in a ice bath bath with his eyes bulging with fear as he was submerged in the freezing water. No. All of the kids hated every minute of it and they were forced to, to do this. Why? Weirdly enough, he also posted some of these experiences on his business Facebook page. Like, oh, even my kids partake in this. Yeah. Yeah, did he videotape them screaming and crying? I don't know. This is torture. Yes, absolutely. One thing I do want you to know about Aaliyah, though, is that although all of the kids feared him, she was spunky and she often stood up to him. She, like, Hannah and Asquatch fought frequently and when they were having a fight, Aaliyah would come in and would like tell him to leave. She would defiantly slam a door in his face and tell him, you know, leave and don't come back. Like she knew that he was the problem. You know what I mean? So Hannah was not only beautiful, but she was kind. She was a wonderful mother. She was described as having a big heart. And even though when her marriage started to break down, she didn't want Asquatch to be in like pain and suffering. So they're This, of course, made it easier for him to manipulate her, which he does. But frankly, he knew that she was better than him on every single level and that she was the total opposite of what he was. And this did not help his compulsion of power and control. He had often made comments throughout their marriage that bothered their friends. But one really stuck out to a particular friend where he made a comment about his ex-wife in New Zealand, his first marriage. And how it broke down. And when it was breaking down, he had contemplated abducting his family at gunpoint. Then, so when one friend during the investigation afterward tells the police that, they follow up with a friend in New Zealand who knew this couple. This man named Mr. Call said, "Uh, yeah, he absolutely did contemplate that. He had even had a rope in his car. He was going to take them out somewhere and end it all, including himself. No, 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 no. But for whatever reason, he didn't go through with it. I think that reason is because he met Hannah. Because remember? Yes, he, he had, was still with her, mm-hmm. His her being his ex-wife. Yes, I think that meeting Hannah saved his ex-wife and his son from what eventually ends up happening to Hannah and her three beautiful children. Mm, it hurts my soul. Yeah, it's, a, it's so, so bad. He also controlled their finances. That's no surprise. Even though he couldn't remember his pin. Yep. But he had controlled what they spent their money on, of course. You know, her paychecks weren't weren't her paychecks. He checked all her- What's mine is mine. What's yours is mine. Yep. He checked all her texts, her messages. He constantly accused her of having affairs. Um, She wasn't even allowed to talk to male staff members at the gym, even though it was their gym. He put cameras in their home before they had their gym. They were both employed at an athlete's like a shoe store. Okay. Cause they had to work together. He couldn't, he had to know where she was at all times. All right. And Brad Clark was the manager or whatever. He hired them both there. And he said, you know, Rowan was a difficult employee. He did not like to take no for an answer, but he was also horrible to um, other employees, like critical of the employees, especially if they were outperforming him. And so he would burn bridges with them. And that was difficult for him as a manager, of course. He would also then wear shoes and wear them out and then return them to the store and demand a new pair. Like huh? that's not an employee perk, man. Like the, no, you don't return them. Yeah. You probably get your discount anyway, buddy. Just enjoy it. Yes. And the, the employees at that store knew that Hannah, Hannah had actually told them 
She could not do anything without her husband's permission. I hate those words. And Oh, me too. Mm, yes. No one gives me permission to do, to do anything, anything since before I was 18 and yep. my parents had to sign the paper. Agreed. Yeah, no. For the field trip, by the way. <laughs> so at one point in time, this manager recalled where Asquatch was going to surprise Hannah on their wedding anniversary. And she had come to the manager ahead of time and begged him to schedule her to work. Because she did not want to even spend their anniversary together. Then, she knows. So th- yes. she knows in her gut something's yep. bad, bad. As things start to decline in their marriage in 2019, she told her manager that she felt like Rowan was out to get her. And she literally said that he would never harm the children, but she feared that he would use the children as bargaining chips. That's where her headspace is at. Well, that's how a lot of women feel. Mm-hmm. In, yeah. When they're in the domestic violence situation, they're not even contemplating the fact that they could be murdered or, or even physically harmed since this appeared to be a lot of emotional and, frankly, sexual abuse. Emotional, sexual, <laughs> financial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's not even going there with it right now. She's just thinking about the, the kids, and then she knows that if she files for divorce, it's going to be awful, and he's going to use the kids in a bargaining chi- as a bargaining chip, and yep. he's going to think of every possible thing he can to make Make her look bad. Yes. Even some of it might be true because no one's a fucking saint. Right, right. But they're, I don't know, she, Hannah might have been. She might have been a saint. Man, like, well, good for you, nothing. Hannah, but the people that I know right. who've been in those situations are worried that that could happen. Right. And then here, you know, here she is. But in November 2019, she does get up the courage to leave him because he came home from a jujitsu session, quote, all jacked up and on adrenaline. He tripped her to the ground and then put his hands around her throat, telling her that she has no idea what he is capable of. Well, she does now. That was the point, the breaking point for her of, okay, I need to get out of here. She met with a police officer to talk about her marital situation and how scared she was. But at this point in time, she still didn't think that she was a victim of domestic violence because he had not physically beat her. No, but he just physically assaulted you. He did. He did. The police officer informed her that making her have sex with him daily was in fact a form of rape. And that in, in he, this police officer did talk to her about coercive, coercive control and that she was in fact in what the law would consider a domestically violent relationship. Good for him. So I think it was a woman. I believe it Good was a woman. Good for her. Officer. Look at me being sexist. Yeah, yeah. I was hoping. Well, I was, I, part of me was just hoping that a man had let her know that. Right, right. But I'm sorry. Of course it was a woman. It was a woman. <laughs> it was. Come so, on, guys, do better. <laughs> so she leaves and she goes, she takes the kids and she goes to stay at her parents' home in Camp Hill. And she did have to leave, as as we know, the only way that you can leave a man like Asquatch. She left without him knowing, without saying a word to him, packed up absolutely the bare minimum of what she needed for her and the kids and got to safety. Now, just as you're very well of aware of, there's no custody order at this point. Right. It's just her fleeing. And as I told you before, she was a very kind hearted person. She didn't want to see him. She just wanted divorced from him. She didn't want to see him hurting and in pain and all this stuff. She didn't want to keep the kids from him. She just no longer wanted to be married to him. So at this point in time, so this is November 2019, but they do, she does decide like, I will split time you know, with the kids. And she doesn't necessarily have she, a choice. Right. So unless there's some type of an ex- emergency order, which I'm assuming there, there was, was not. not. There's nothing. This is just a woman leaving a man. So at this point in time, 
Rowan goes to his church pastor, Christopher Ensbay, and he later during the investigation tells investigators that he definitely had like an alpha male personality. He could see that he was having paranoid behaviors, that he was having controlling behaviors and that this was an issue. He confided like Baxter, Rowan Baxter had confided in him during a quote moment of vulnerability about the impact the breakdown of his marriage was having on him. And the good pastor said that he knew something was wrong and that he had to change, meaning Rowan knew that. But he didn't have the self-awareness to know what to do. So he decides to meet with the couple at their gym, which was close to his church. At this point in time, he is witnessing Rowan training people so hard to the point where they're vomiting, which I think, especially in CrossFit, that happens pretty commonly. Some people are yeah, but more my vomiters. Kids CrossFitted for a while, and that CrossFit owner, coach, she was lovely with them. Yeah. They did not get pushed to the point of no. overexertion. No. They got pushed, mm-hmm. but not like that. This is just, he is just an ass. Yeah, he is. He is. And some people are vomiters, but. Oh, no. Uh, let me. You know, but no, I think his, to more to the point, his point is, I was uncomfortable, you know, with it. Hannah told the pastor that she believed that Rowan thought he was entitled to sex every day and controlled her day, daily schedule. So basically, Hannah, it sounded to me like Hannah and Rowan were kind of reaching out to this pastor for like marital counseling at this point in time. Oh, Hannah. Yeah, yeah. The The pastor said, I had never perceived the paranoia around the relationship, but at this point it felt like it was getting more and more paranoid about who she spent time with and who she was having communications with. When this is all going down, she is telling her coworkers, like, I firmly believe he's going to try to kill me. I mean, she she can, she has this it's sense about her. It's a instinct. Yep, exactly. And her friends feel helpless. One friend even reached out to the police for her based on what she had told the friend. Good. For her fears and asking like, what can my friend do? This Nicole Brooks was one of the friends. Just a week before Rowan Baxter would kill his entire family, Nicole Brooks reached out to the police and warned the police that she was concerned that he was likely to harm them. She literally said, I'm sure he's going to take them out. Okay. This is the friend mm-hmm. based off of what she had said to her. Yes. The friend she says was, they're going to take Because Hannah was saying, I am afraid he's going to kill me. So the officers are like, listen, we really can't do anything until Hannah, un- excuse me, until Rowan Baxter does something. Makes an actual threat, something verbal, mm-hmm. makes a physical gesture of some kind. Until then, she has a feeling. She just feels that he's going to try to hurt her. And I think that's where the investigator, you know, the police officers at this point in time were landing on of like, I get your feeling, but until he physically does something, we don't, we can't do anything. And she literally, and this is one week before he murders his family. And so Nicole literally says to the police officers, police officer, what if you don't get a second chance? Like, what if what he does is final? Like, I get what you're saying. At this point in time, Hannah was telling Nicole about that time he came home from the jujitsu session and choked her. Essentially, he put hands on her throat. He was right? MMA hanger. If was. anybody watches MMA and you know jujitsu, he got home, was all fucking pumped up, put her down for some ground and pound, and 
Yes. T- tied her up and choked her. But then literally said, you have no idea what I'm capable of. Because that is a threat. Capable. Yeah, that is a, a physical assault accompanied with a threat. Yes. Absolutely. And so that's what Nicole is trying to get through to these police officers. And they're like, until he does something. He did do right. something. So then on Boxing Day 2019, <laughs> Rowan Sasquatch Baxter was brazen enough to literally abduct their middle daughter, Leanna. Because there's no L in the It middle. might be Leanna, might be Leanna, in front of witnesses and literally right in front of Hannah. Just rips her out of holding his her hand. They're gone for two days. He abducts her for two days. There was not a court order. There was no child protection orders in place to stop him from legally having access to his child. But, and what in the police do, you know, acknowledge what he did is disgusting. It's inappropriate. And he did it for the prime purpose of causing harm to Hannah. But it wasn't something that they could then process legally. Because there's no, in their, what they're telling the public after the fact, there's no, um, there was no order. He had a right to access for his, to his daughter, and he he took her for two days. The police did find her. Okay, return her, and she was okay. Yes, she was fine, and so, returned her to Hannah. Yes, yeah, so to have custodial interference or parental kidnapping that the police could get involved in like that, there would have needed to have been an order, mm-hmm. even a temporary order, mm-hmm. uh, granting some type of custody that he would have had to violate it. And I know how awful this sounds to everybody right now, and some of you have been through this with your exes or your right. significant others, but he didn't really do anything illegal at that point in time he didn't and the reason and think about this if you were the other parent you wouldn't want there to just automatically be an order just because someone left someone else okay so what i'm saying is just because hannah left him does not make her all of a sudden legally you know 100 custody to her until there's a divorce order because for all we know, she could have been the perpetrator, right? I mean, in, in a different situation. Well, us as judges, could, we can only do so much. Right. And and he could have left with the kids. Right. And then how right it is, is it that he gets 100% custody until there's a divorce right. order just because he's the one that left with the kids. So that's why there's nothing is settled well, until And let's just know. So at this point in time, and we're talking a different country, so I'm not sure how things yeah. work there, but nobody's filed for any type of a restraining order. We call them a personal protection order at this point. We're getting to it. Oh, it was I jumped. This, ahead you on did. You. It was this act that made Hannah go and get that, well, that protection good, because order. because that should be a trigger. Yes. And I'm assuming that's what the police told her yep. as well. Yep. So at this point in time, now after that abduction, now there's a protection order and now there is something that the police could legally, you know, come back on and get him for should he act further, right, in a similar manner. This really, really bothered me too. After that personal protection order is in place, this is like the end of January of 2020. So that personal protection order is in place um, for Hannah, and they have established some sort of, she's still sharing custody, not 50%, but he still has. He gets visitation. Yes, he he still has the ability, right, to visit with his kids. So at drop-off time, he deliberately had left photos of Hannah in her underwear on the front seat of the car so that the kids could see them. Classic, classic move, by the way. When Hannah went to go get the photos, he grabbed her wrists up, threw them behind her back, and like sprained her wrist, and also busted her lip. He just got fucking assaulted. Yes. The only way, the only reason he stopped is because Hannah's mom, Sue, saw this, came running out of the house and screaming at her to let him to, or excuse me, screaming at him to to let let her her go. go. So he did and then called her a mall, 
which is an insult. A, so a mall, I had to look it up, is a female companion of a gangster. Okay, so he's calling he's her calling a, her ho. a ho. Yeah, whatever. So for us, it's derogatory, like a bitch or a slut or something like that. So that's what he called Sue. I think I, I actually shouldn't say that. The way that the articles are written where this story, the statements are made, I do not know if he was calling Sue the name or if he was calling Hannah the name or both of them for that matter. Well, he respects women so much in general. Does it really matter? <laughs> right. He could have been calling his daughters that for all yeah. we know. So, oh, and I'm sure he was. Yeah. I mean, he was the photographs out them. there is this is the version now of what we call it's revenge porn where you're taking mm-hmm. somebody's intimate things that they shared with you, photographs, yep. videos, During whatever, your relationship. and then mm-hmm. broadcasting them later yep. for everyone to see. So now people just do that online. Yep. Yep. So that's exactly what he was doing, but he was using his children. Oh, what a great, this. what a great yes. subject. Yep. Super, you're- super cool guy. And so she has a spring wrist and a split lip and she did speak to the police about this, but court action really wasn't able to be taken before the tragic events of what we're about to talk about. So she about reports happened. that there's been a violation of the protection order. There was a order, violation. Mm-hmm. But it progressed. It did. So I'm going to take you to a huge, huge trigger alert in the day of February 19th, 2020. So this was not long ago at all. At 8.30 a.m. on that day, Hannah, who was 31 at the time, Trey was three, Liana was four, and Aaliyah was six. We're just getting into the car to go to school at her parents' home on Camp Hill when Asquatch hijacked himself into the passenger side of her Kia Sportage and simply said, drive. So she was terrified. She was pleading with him to just leave them alone. And he was screaming in her ear. He is completely manic at this point in time. Hannah spotted while she's driving, because she did as she was told. While she was driving, she spotted a man with a hose in the distance. So there is someone outside, right? So she purposely parks on the side of the road because there's a witness, there's a person. And this man's name who had the hose was Michael Zemek. He was washing his car that morning when he heard a car a car pull up outside of his house. He hears what he says he will never forget. He hears a woman screaming, call the police, call the police. He's trying to kill me. He put petrol on me. Rowan Baxter had got in the car with a jerry can of gasoline and he poured it all over his children and his wife and so she knew what he was trying to do right sees this man with the hose pulls over now mr zemek couldn't see the children in the car they're babies they're little they are six four and three but he could see that rowan was holding hannah in a bear hug with both arms around her He was sitting on his side of the car and she was screaming. And he described what he said was a a resigned look on Rowan's face as Mr. Zemek was approaching the passenger side window to try to de-escalate the situation. He looked into Rowan's eyes, saw that look, and all of a sudden Rowan sparked a lighter. And Mr. Zemek, oh, I'm going to cry again like I did on the last one. This is horrible. So Mr. Zemek said uh, to the investigators afterwards, quote, it was just a bang and a blackness sort of hit my face. I sort of turned my head around briefly. When I came to look up, the whole of the inside front was ablaze. An off-duty paramedic, Stephanie Ring, had just happened to be in the area when she witnessed the explosion. Hannah managed to get herself out of the car. Hannah did? Mm-hmm. 
Hannah has burns on 97% of her body. She gets out of the car and she's yelling, my babies are in the car. Why didn't I just stay in the car with them? Ooh, I've got to pause. This is horrible. Okay. Take a breather. So she was head to toe in flames while she was screaming. And, um, and that was from the first responder, the off duty first responder. Yeah. She's pure adrenaline right Mm -hmm. now. That's all that's left. She continued to plead, uh, for someone to save her children. And Mr. Zemek desperately worked to douse the flames with his garden hose. Now, Mr. Zemek did suffer burns as well. He was right next to the car when it exploded exploded in his face. He's got burns on his hands. He has burns on his face, but he's trying to douse the flames with his hose. When uh, Mrs. Ring, the first off-duty first responder, approaches her, she was yelling, I didn't save my kids. I couldn't save my kids. And they were trying to get her to stop, drop, and roll, essentially. Like, get down, roll. And the with the intensity of the blaze, nobody could get to the kids, okay? And actually, Mr. Zemek didn't really understand what was going on. And honestly, he had just suffered a trauma himself. So he's trying to put the flames out, but he says, quote, I didn't appreciate that they were there. I thought maybe they had been killed somewhere else. He didn't understand they were in the car. I can understand the confusion at that point. Me too, because he couldn't, he couldn't see them. See them. Yeah. And she's saying things like, why didn't I save my, save my babies? Right. He doesn't realize that they were there. Another passerby, Samantha Covey, was driving her children to swimming lessons when she saw Mrs. Clark's uh, car engulfed in flames. And she found her lying on the grass near the car saying, my kids, someone get to my kids. Um, The only part of her body that wasn't affected with burns were the bottom of her feet, bottom of her feet. So, Multiple witnesses will attest to her bravery, knowing full well that she wasn't going to survive these injuries. She was able to say a lot. She gave three different statements to the police before she passed away. Uh, Did she pass on the scene or were they able to get her someplace? She did pass away at the hospital. So she lasted a lot longer than what, and had the opportunity to say all these things and to know what happened. Oh, my heart, I know. But I'm going to tell you what she she said and what she told the police. Good, her words deserve to be heard. Mm -hmm. She said, quote, I can't believe he's done this. I've got a DVO, which is like our personal protection order. Um, I can't believe he's done this. Where are my babies? Where are my babies? How could he do this? That's my babies in there. And that's what she had said to Mrs. Covey you know, as she had rolled up on the scene. Many good Samaritans came to extinguish the flames in her SUV. And at this point in time, Rowan fucking Baxter is not dead. He's he did on not fire? Die. Yeah, he had burns all over 80% of his body, but he's not dead. Was he out of the car? He gets out of the car and then he went back into the vehicle after some of, most of the fire had been extinguished to retrieve a knife that he left in there. Now, neighbor Carrie Fernandez was racing towards the flames with a fire extinguisher. She said that she was stopped at every turn by Rowan for using that fire extinguisher. She said, quote, I felt like he was guarding the car. He was not wanting me to put the fire out. And it felt like if I went to the right side, he'd follow me. If I went to the left side, he'd follow me. He wanted his children dead. And he went back in for the night. He did. But Mr. Mrs. Fernandez did not know that he was holding a knife. So another neighbor, Reese uh, Gorley, spotted the weapon and bolted across the street to warn Mrs. Fernandez that this man is literally following you around this flaming car and he's got a knife. 
And at that point in time, and like I said, he had burns in 80% of his body. They were all the, the Samaritans. Uh, one of them, the neighbor, another neighbor, Sarah Tranberg, pleaded with him to drop the knife. She said, I couldn't see a lot of him because he was burned from head to toe, but I told him, drop the knife. It's not worth it. Drop the knife. And with that, Rowan Baxter did society a fucking favor by plunging the knife directly into his heart, and he died on the side of the road. And I'm not even sorry for saying that because no, you of shouldn't what be. he did. So usually I would not say that about someone who's taken their own life, but in this circumstance... This is a murder-suicide. Yes, it is. So it's a little different. Mm -hmm. The people that we know who have compassion for, who attempt or have committed suicide, who are doing this to themselves and not taking other people out with them, there's usually a mental illness, complete awful depression, this hole that you've crawled in, and we can have compassion for that. When you fucking take out everybody else on your way, no, I don't think you have to show compassion. And if anybody disagrees with me, I don't care. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So feel free, and you can let me know and write me hate mail, but I don't care. Now, look at the um, pictures of his beautiful wife and three children before you write any sort of hate mail about that, because I firmly believe that he did this just so he wouldn't have to suffer the consequences of his actions. I'm going to give you, there's some audio from a body cam. Oh, um, good God. Footage when um, senior constable Angus Skeynes arrived on the scene to speak to and was able to speak to Hannah. She had obviously been horrifically injured at this point in time. So she speaks first. She says on the body cam footage, she says, my ex-husband, he got the, he got in the constable says, what's your ex-husband's name? She's, she says, Rowan Baxter. He repeats it, Rowan Baxter. Then Hannah says, there's a personal protection order against him. The cop says, okay. Then she said, when we got in the car to go to school, he just jumped in the front seat with me and had a jerry can. And the and then she says, and then I saw this gentleman. She was meaning the gentleman with the hose, mm-hmm. who was standing there. I want to hug, him. helping her, you know, as much as he could. So then the cop said, <clears throat> "What's Rowan's middle name?" She said, "Charles." So then he said, "Okay." So Rowan jumped in the car and lit the car on fire. Then there's some interference that can't be heard, like from the police radio that he's wearing. So then Hannah says, "With the jerry can." And then, then I saw this gentleman, this gentleman locking the car. And, um, I asked him to call the police, please. Then there's more interference. Then Hannah says, and then he just, he poured petrol everywhere and just lit the car. And the cop says, okay, what's your, and Hannah interrupts him and says, and my three kids. And so then the cop's like, what's your surname? She's like, it's in the computer under Clark, C-L-A-R-K-E. She's spelling all this. Remember, you guys, she has horrific burns on 97% of her body. And she is saying all this and not responding to the pain at all. She can't feel it right now. She's in shock. So then the officer says, what's your first name? She says, Hannah. And he says, what's your middle name, Hannah? She says, Ashley. Then they spell it. They go through this back and forth of spelling it, which I'm like, okay, we need this information right now when you can see how horrifically, and the first responders aren't there to give her anything yet. No. Then he's, there's a radio transmission, like again, in the background. And he's like, sorry, what did you say your middle name was? Ashley, sorry. And then, then Hannah's saying, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. And the officer's like, no, 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 no. You're doing amazing, actually. Um, Hannah, what did you say your middle name was? Like, why, why the fuck do we care right now? They're trying to make a record. <sighs> yes, I know. So then uh, she, uh, Hannah's like, what was that? Meaning the police 
you know, the radio thing because they're interference. They're, yeah. Well, they're talking back and forth about she's trying to figure out if her kids, kids are, are alive, alive or not. God. And so he's saying then she was like, she said, what was that? And then she says, Ashley. And he's once again, Ashley. And they're spelling it. And then she spells her last name. And she's like, yes, that's what it is. So then the cop's like, so I'm just trying to, and and Hannah interrupts him and says, it might even be under Baxter. But that um, was her married name. It was. And so then he's like, okay, and you're at Camp Hill, right? Meaning where she's been staying. And, he, and Hannah says, yes, just up the road. The police officer says, yeah, Romeo 481, I've got the details of the suspect for this. Don't know if anyone's passed that on yet. The radio says negative. Go ahead. I'll load them in. So he's trying to tell. He's then giving the information of, you know, spelling his name. This is our perpetrator. You know, this is the victim here. This is what's going on. Haven't gotten a description of clothing yet because then he's like, I'm speaking to one of the victims. She said he hopped in the car with the children, told her to drive, poured petrol in the car, and then lit it on fire with the three children in the car. Unknown direction. Haven't gotten a description of clothing yet. I'll do that now. So then she was like, he's the officer's like, so what was Rowan wearing? And Hannah's like, I don't even know, maybe a, a singlet and shorts, but his shirt's on the ground. So I think it's ripped off. She had noticed like his shirt was no longer on him. So then the officer's like, okay, go through this as a, with as much detail as you want, as you can. I know it's very hard. Just tell me from the very start again. So Hannah's like, yeah, we jumped in the car to go to school. And so then the officer's like, where did you jump in? Where did you jump in the car at? She gave the address of her parents' house. And then he's like, okay, and then what happened? She said, I turned the car on. Then the officer says, yeah. And then Hannah says, and then he jumped in the front seat, and I started to scream. Officer says, yeah. Hannah says, and then? Officer says, yeah. He just told me to drive, Hannah said. So officer's like, okay. And then Hannah said, he said, all I wanted to do was see my children. So the officer's like, oh, yeah. Then Hannah said, and I just said, no, no, get out, get out. And he said, you need to drive. And he had a jerry can. Officer said, you know, officer's like, yeah. And she said, in his hand. Officer's like, yeah. And Hannah said, he just told me to drive, so I started driving. And then I saw this gentleman washing his car. And I pulled over and said, please call the police. Please call the police. And then he just, <laughs> and she stops. And the police officer says, you know, go on. And then an, a Queensland ambulance service arrives at this point in time. And says, interrupts and says, Hannah, I'm just going to give you some pain relief. And Hannah says, then he poured petrol everywhere and lit the car alight. So then the cop's like, okay, whereabouts? How far did you drive to get here? And Hannah's like, like I said, it's just up the road. Like, She's sorry. still making so much sense. Right. That's why I'm going through this transcript so that you guys can all understand how hard this woman fought to make sure, because she doesn't know Rowan's dead. She has no idea. I doubt she can even see at this point in no, time. No, I would frankly. imagine that. So the fact that she is able to stay this calm and fight for her children this much, I just want the world to know. So then the emergency people, the paramedics, excuse me, whatever, whatever yes, they call them there. They, exactly. The paramedics, they are saying, you know, go ahead. You, you keep going. We're going to try to get IV access going for you. So um, the officer's like, okay, no problem. You know, was he living at your house at the time? And Hannah's like, we've got, we have a personal protection order. Officer's like, when was the last time you saw him? She said, well, he FaceTimed the, he FaceTimed the kids last night, but the last time I saw him in person was maybe a week ago. The officer says, okay, has he done anything threatening previously? Hannah says, yeah. Um, 
Not to me, no. What? Well, yeah. I, I mean, he hasn't physically beat her. Like, he's never done anything Just like this before, right? Just still confused about what it yes. means to be a, a victim. Yep. So then the officer says, no. Has he hurt you previously? And Hannah says, he tried to break my wrist two weeks ago. Officer says, okay. Did the police know about that? Hannah says, yes. Police officer says, okay. And what's that? And Hannah said, so, you know, the Karina police know everything. Like, yes, I, you know, I, I talked to them about that, about that. And the officer's like, great, that's perfect. Uh, but do you know where he's living at at the moment? So she gives his address because it was their old house. And then the officer's like, okay, no problem. I'm going to leave you with the ambulance officers now. Okay. So that they could provide her as much relief as possible. One of the Queensland most qualified emergency medical respondents and a medical director for the ambulance service, seeing, uh, Stephen Rashford, Rashford was on the scene and could tell that Miss Clark had essentially non-survivable injuries the moment that he laid eyes on her. She was not screaming in pain when he treated her, adding that in some cases, those suffering severe burns can be very cognitively intact, and she was. He said, we reassured her as much as we could and wanted to basically say that we would take any pain away that we could and that we hoped that she would wake up in the hospital and be in a better place. It's always difficult. Ooh, yep. yeah, shit. It's okay. Uh, it's always a very difficult conversation to have with anyone, he said. He yeah, did, but tell him. Mm-hmm. Just do it. Yep. He described the mother of three as incredibly courageous and added, after briefly speaking to her, he believed her pain was not her primary issue. No. Amidst the horror of what happened, it was her children. And then um, Senior Constable Angus Skeins, he was the one who was interviewing her that I just took you through. Another first responder told the investigators that Miss Clark was able to give details and names and date of birth in the moments before she was sedated with painkillers. And it's just amazing the things that she was able to tell them and how much she was able to help us. And that officer that had interviewed her said that had Rowan lived, her testimony or her statement would yeah. have absolutely proved crucial in prosecuting him. And and she was make I mean she's still fighting for her kids and to make sure that he doesn't get away with this in her final moments. As I had indicated earlier, Hannah Clark did die later that day in the hospital. Um, there was a, a note that was found on Rowan Baxter's phone after his death where he revealed his reasoning for killing his wife. It read, quote, I'm finishing your game. I don't want to play anymore. I have told the kids that you loved them. They will miss you, I'm sure. You destroyed my life and I cannot move on. I hope all was worth it for you and your family. Now that you have no one to apparently control it, you're a strong girl. You'll be fine. That's an odd note. I just had to take a drink after that. Yeah, I'm surprised. You want a shot? I do. I really do at this point. It almost sounds like he wasn't intending to kill the kids. I know. Um... But I think that he, was my first thought I when I read was. that. But I don't think he ever gave a flying fuck about those beautiful children at all. I yeah. really don't. They were possessions to him. You know, he loved to post them on social media and play the I'm a great father thing and brag about them and take all the glory for how adorable they were and anything, any accomplishment that they had. But he didn't really, you know, care for them. They they got in the way of his attention. From Hannah, you know, like you had said earlier. Australian Jason. This was a really 
awful but great case. I'm so glad there was this transcript that was made too. Yes, me too. Yeah, Jason, you broke us. Yeah, I'm a little... I don't get quiet very often. No. Um, so I don't... Jason obviously wouldn't know this, um, but in our state, um, our governor had issued a proclamation that October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So not only... Yes. It, Shocktober, which fits, because this is probably one of the more shocking things that I've ever heard on here, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also is Domestic Violence Awareness Month in the state of Michigan, probably other states in the U.S. as well. So people are wearing purple and they're talking a lot right now. If you're on social media about the power control wheel and survivors are sharing their stories and a lot of them, they're going to, this is going to resonate with them. Mm -hmm. So shameless, shameless, but unapologetic plug that if you are in a situation that is causing you to feel uncomfortable, even if you are not being physically hit, beat up, punched, uh, but are being controlled in any way, shape or form made to perform when you're not sexually, when you're not in the mood. Uh, or are being isolated from your friends or family. I'm just going to keep going through all of this because I've done this for so long. Don't worry, honey. I have indicators at the end. Perfect. You know I'm going to put that in there. My plug right now is for you to reach out, whether it's to a local domestic harmony shelter, whether it's to law enforcement, if you trust them, or if there's nobody else that you trust, go talk to a friend or family member who you Mm -hmm. know will help you. Um, And so Mm -hmm. I'm throwing that out there right now. And I'll turn it back over to you. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I just wanted... To let you know what's kind of happened since then. It's, it was only two years ago, but some things have happened. I do want everyone to include this. Sue wanted the world to know that her daughter was strong, loved her children, and would have fought anyone to save them. And I think that we have very clearly showed that throughout this episode. And that's how I want people to remember her too. You raised so, an amazing woman, Sue. Yes, she absolutely did. Sue Clark had hoped that the world would have more understanding and awareness about family violence. Um, And she has been a champion to make sure that there has been change. Okay. The horrific murder of Hannah Clark and her three children by her monstrous husband has resulted in landmark changes in domestic violence laws in Queensland with coercive control of a partner or family member set to be a criminal offense. It was not before. And now it is. So something good has come from that. Now, I mentioned earlier, you know, you might be wondering, why the hell was there an investigation if he, when we know what happened, we, we know who the perpetrator is and he killed himself. So why is there an inquest? Well, they call them inquests. We call them investigations. I like inquests better. Me too. I thought that too. So the inquest has to look backwards at the warning signs, which were missed um, if identified whether appropriate actions were taken at the time to address those risks. So that investigation is complete now, and the changes were made in May 2022 and are being implemented in Queensland. We call this prevention so and awareness. We do. Um, it did take two weeks for the court to hear testimony, okay, to slowly piece together the many things that were hiding in plain sight in Hannah's fam- family life. Okay, and so that's why they interviewed all the family and friends of her, and that's how we know all the information that we do know about how much he controlled Hannah's life. Her family and friends spoke up, participated in the investigation, and were champions for change in all of this. So, ah, you guys, this is a hard, hard case, but now I want to give you those indicators because it was on the same site that taught me about how Queensland has changed. So they have 39 domestic violence um, indicator red flags 
Um, so a history of violence outside of the family, a history, a, a previous history of domestic violence. I have met with several women that are like, well, yeah, he beat up his ex-wife or his ex-girlfriend, but he would never do that to me. Right. There mm-hmm. was something else going on. Yep. You don't know the whole story. Yep. Prior threats to kill the victim, prior threats with a weapon, prior assault with a weapon, prior threats to commit suicide by the perpetrator. So like, I'm going to kill myself if you leave me. Got it. Mm-hmm. Prior suicide attempts by the perpetrator, prior attempts to isolate the victim, control all or most of the victim's daily activities, prior hostage hostage taking and or forcible confinement, prior forced sexual acts and or assaults during sex, uh, child custody and access disputes, prior destruction or deprivation of a victim's property, prior violence against family pets, prior assault on victim, uh, the victim while pregnant. That one we see a lot too. I do. I see a lot of those. Choked strangulation, victim in the past. Hannah was a part of that. Uh, The perpetrator was abused and or witnessed domestic violence as a child. An escalation of violence, obsessive behavior displayed by the perpetrator. The perpetrator is unemployed, especially while the victim is employed. Victim and perpetrator living common law. Which we don't actually have, but our state doesn't. Uh, yeah, but I believe around the world it is still a thing. It is. Other states do as well. Presence of stepchildren in the home, and and you know, again, these are just red flags. They're not like indicators that that person is going to, you know, um, denial of spousal assault history. So like, no, I I didn't, you know, do that. When the other spouse is like, just watch him because he, you know. If they got a divorce or whatever, like he was. Oh, no, they were never charged with anything. So, right. Exactly. An actual or pending separation. You guys, if you don't know, you're going to know now that the most dangerous time is when the person leaves the other person. And that is what this 24, number 24 indicator is talking about actual or pending separation. Um, excessive alcohol or drug use, depression. Depression um, of both the perpetrator and actually the the victim can be as well. On other mental health problems, of course, access to firearms coupled with mental health issues, a new partner in the victim's life. Yeah, that's a big trigger. Failure to comply with authority. The perpetrator exposed to or witnessed suicide beha- suicidal behavior in the family of origin. After a risk assessment, if the perpetrator has had access to the victim, so after they have already assessed the level of risk, and also youth of the couple. So victim and perpetrator are between the ages of 15 and 24, are the most likely. Sexual jealousy, misogynistic attitudes, check. Um, An age discrepancy of the couple, check. And victim's intuitive sense of fear of the perpetrator, and the last one is perpetrator threatened and or harmed chil- the children. I'm sorry if that was tedious to, for you guys to listen to if you're experts in domestic violence, but a lot of people are not. And I want all of our listeners to know um, if you have experienced any or all of these, these are red flag indicators. And like Megan said, just please reach out to someone that you trust or a local resource. Every Or a hotline. Yeah, there's hotlines If you want to be anonymous, mm-hmm. there's yeah. a hotline. Yep. 
just just don't be don't be afraid to reach out. There's a number of those that are are um, incredibly important to touch on. We could do whole shows on them. But if you, for example, have been strangled by your partner, whether that was during sex and you didn't know that it was you were being assaulted or not, that's not called choking. And, and again, unless it was something consensual, it's strangulation. And if you don't report it, you guys, you I don't think you understand what a huge medical issue that is, and you could die. Mm-hmm. So if you've been strangled, that's something you need to get you know go seek assistance right away. Right. Um, not that all of the other things aren't scary either, but you can tell when I've recently come off of a DV conference and I have, <laughs> so that it was, stuff. it was just new information that I was like, oh my God, I didn't even know how serious that was when somebody reports it. Michigan has increased a domestic violence, by the way. So assault by strangulation actually makes it into a felony. Oh, okay. Um, so we do have that, uh, as okay. well. And I think other States t- too. So it's tragic that these type of situations have to lead, uh, to legislation, but the fact that they do at least gives some some light at the end of the tunnel and look what this woman maybe has been able to do to help other strong um victims right. who've been protecting their, if their families. If this was going to be her circumstance, at least something yeah. could come of it, right? Yeah. yeah, I just keep looking at this kangaroo set going, Good God, Jason, this case. Uh, uh, no, Jason, man. Since the recording of this episode, we have learned that this brain bath is actually satire. But you know what? It's still funny. So we're just gonna leave it in and let you all enjoy anyway. I have I have a good brain bath for us though, and oh, I think please. it is time to cleanse us all. And you're looking at my computer, and so you're I'm seeing this woman. this woman. I just see a, a woman in a red blazer, which can only be described as a power suit, and she's a ginger. She is, and those are her boobs, like mostly hanging. Oh out, but- God, that is a power suit I just noticed I only saw the red blazer I didn't see all the cleavage yeah yeah um I'm gonna read you the headline but don't look at it because I want your general okay. and, I, I and, didn't see it and we shouldn't there is a death so like oh. I feel I don't want to laugh about this but a listener sent this to us um Holly thank you Holly I, I just think that it is interesting and also a warning to men everywhere just in general this happened in Detroit Oh my God. Okay. This is Yo D Town. We love you. <laughs> it's from this year, Megan. Oh God. Okay. I've been there recently. Can actually, I, see that I apologize again? because the date at the top keeps changing. I actually think this was 2017. Oh, okay. sorry. My bad. My bad. Here is the title from worldnewsdaily.com. Oh, I'm sorry. Worldnewsdailyreport.com. Rabid prostitute shot dead by police. Autopsy reveals 12 chewed off penises in her stomach. Oh my God. Yeah, that was the expression I was expecting. She had an actual bag of dicks. She did. (laughs) Double what we've got here. Yeah. Remember when you said you've never had that many in your mouth before? Never had that many in my stomach. Good God, woman. So let me tell you the story. Oh, please. I hope that there is a story behind there this. Is. It can't be an unsolved mystery. It's not. No, there's no mystery. Can here. you imagine Ken Walsh, though? And now an unsolved mystery. Could you imagine the autopsy tech? They've seen like, worse. One dick? Two I just dick, feel like they're using a dick? Four dick. See? You've reverted to Dr. Seuss <laughs> I have again. again. Yes. And one dick, two dick, dick red dick, blue, blue dick. dick. <laughs> yeah, right. Tiny dick, big dick, medium dick, slick dick. Yeah. Well, is this thing dick? Right, right. <laughs> oh, rhyme. that was just turkey. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So here, poor Loretta Monroe, she was 47 years old. And she ended up being tased repeatedly 
by police and it didn't affect her before being shot 17 times by the Detroit police officers, which they found very controversial. Oh, I bet. Until more information came out because the officer, uh, officers, <laughs> I don't wow. know what that is. I want to sing though. <laughs> That's a, I don't know what that was. I have was. no idea how that came out. The officers involved. Okay. Yeah had justified their intervention saying that Miss Monroe was extremely aggressive, violent, and quote, looked as if she was possessed by a demon. They called her rabid. Well, she was. She tested positive for rabies. Oh no. Yeah. There haven't been very many confirmed positives for rabies on a human in the US. No, she definitely did. And she had a severe case of it causing oh my God. anxiety, hallucinations, paranoia, and abnormally aggressive behavior. It doesn't it eat your brain? Yeah. Like dissolves brain tissue? It does over a period of days. Now from the CDC, because um, there was a bunch of internet trolls I'm that were in like- shock. There were a ton of internet trolls that were like, it kills you within two to 10 days. It kills animals within two to 10 days. Humans though can live for months with it. According oh. to the CDC, just depending on how rapidly it, it They're goes thinking this through woman's like a zombie. They are a hundred percent. But at this time, they don't know that she has eight penises. They don't know that she's a prostitute. I mean, maybe they could make their guesses. I'm sorry. I should say sex worker, but the, the title said, prostitute, said prostitute. So I was but stuck I need, on that butt. Are you going to explain how the penises ended up there? I will. I will continue to redo the article. Okay. Now, the result of her autopsy revealed that morning could provide an explanation for her behavior. She did suffer from a severe case of rabies, but also it shed some new light on her actions prior to her death that took them in a different direction. The remains of at least 12 partially digested human penises were found in her stomach, leading for for at least like at least a dozen potential victims but keep in mind there could be more victims think about it these are just what the was undigested in her ones these are the undigested ones so what about the digested ones in a brief press conference that detroit police chief james craig held said investigators had already located seven of her victims in various hospitals of the region and they were still looking for more there were literally live people in the hospital missing their junk. Yep. Yes. Mace, missing their go-to man. She they were she was hired to perform a particular skill Correct. Correct. and took off with the evidence. <laughs> she did. I, I or do not mean evidence. to laugh. Am I supposed to have I'm some compassion for the people who were paying for blowjobs? Mm, I mean, first of all, hard one you for me. got more than what no you paid for. No pun intended when I said that's, that's a, a hard, hard one, one for me. me. Sorry. I'm so sorry, general public. Uh, 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 okay, so located seven, yes. alive, who he, could complain yes. about what happened That's with... That's just it. They're like, the, the officers say, we are trying to determine the real number of victims and locate them. It's possible that she may have, st- have struck in another city or state before arriving to Detroit, or that some men died before reaching the hospital... Chief Craig said that Miss Monroe had been suffering from rabies for at least a year, so the number of her victims could reach several hundred, which internet trolls were like, that's not possible. But I mean, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Is she a serial killer by definition? I mean, yeah, because these are, well, she had, she's if, the, if you assume that she's the a other, rabid serial killer, the other five or six or whatever that they couldn't find, five, 
had died. Did then, they find, yeah. They didn't actually find any dead bodies, though. No, but it's Detroit. They're fucking everywhere. No, no. I don't. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I don't. I feel like somebody would have come up someplace. The medical examiner? Without miss, dead and missing a dick. Yeah, right. Which I think they could pinpoint. The medical examiner says the penises were found at most 48 hours old. If she ate a dozen in two days, I just that means she could have eaten a thousand or more over the last year. But I think that the way that, you know, it breaks down the brain, I doubt that she was rabid and cannibalizing that whole time that she had it. Yeah. I'm in shock over here. I know. I have really done a lot to you during our recording today. You today get you full have. chills, you've cried, and you're in genuine shock. I am. Yeah. My mouth is literally wide open <laughs> and not for the same no reason as her. Intended. <laughs> I know. I feel so bad for her. So at some just so you guys know, rabies is I looked it up, it can only be transferred by saliva. So at some point in time, more often in Michigan, it's raccoon, raccoons. I'm so sorry. That was not purposeful. I don't mean to keep bringing up raccoons. raccoons. Bats are the one they thing are that people too. talk a lot yep. about. Bats, raccoons. For whatever reason, in Michigan, raccoons seem to be very particularly rabid. So we don't know how she came to contract it. But at some point in time, she did. But not only had she, she had been living with it for quite some time for it to bring her to that state. And yes, did it seem excessive in the news when you hear that Detroit police shot a woman, you know, a sex worker 17 times after tasing her? Yeah, but I got to say, I've never seen how someone acts literally rabid. I have, I've seen where the red fern grows. Yeah, I know. And this, that dog looked scary. Rabies is 100% fatal, correct? Yes. It, there is a very small, it has to be caught within, according to the CDC, it has to be caught within so many days um, for it, for you, essentially, for you to be able to survive. To have the series of shots yes. in the stomach and all that yeah. good stuff. There is a, a point of no return where you absolutely will die. Well, I assume having it for a year, she mm-hmm. was at that point. Mm-hmm. And With the some- behaviors that are described here, yeah. So, like, rest in peace, you poor... Loretta Monroe, and I'm so sorry that you had to eat penises in your final days, your final 48 hours at least. Oh, and and you know they didn't pay once they didn't get their merchandise back. So, and to those of you considering hiring a sex worker, just know that this could happen to you. So it could. You never know when you might run into a rabid person mm. who's been bitten by a raccoon in Michigan. Mm. Also, I need to give a Big, <laughs> sorry to all of our male listeners. Oh my gosh. Who just probably- You all, were bashed the entire day. First of all, their scrotum jumped back up into their body when we mentioned that penises had been, penises, oh, sorry, had been chopped or bitten off. Well, it was the only part of the anatomy left. It had to hide. I, it did. Also though, can you, can we for a minute reflect on how- for her to be in this type of state, you know she was not just acting normal and then flipped a switch, right? Right. So, like, why were we not heeding? Are, are, are we that horny as a population? Yes. They were just like, she looks rabid, but it's fine. 
I, I, it never ceases to underestimate me the decisions that people make on a regular mm. basis, such as my life and, and yours, <laughs> honestly. So no, none of this it should is, shock this us anymore. Crazy. So yeah, that report will also be in the show notes, everyone. If you'd like to see a picture of Loretta, she's smiling. She is not rabid in this photo. She's not rabid at all. She's smiling. And uh, you know, that's probably how we should remember her and not the contents of her stomach. So there it is. That's how I hope I'm remembered. Thanks for listening to Crime Curious, I think. (laughs) Question mark. Hope you come back next time. Jesus. (laughs) I'm not sure I want to come back next time. Uh, Have a few drinks. You'll be fine. Yeah. So thanks to Jason and Holly for, uh, you know, essentially putting our our show together today. You scarred me for life. You did. Both of you. Uh All right. Well, you know, we really do hope that you keep back, keep, keep, keep back, keep coming back to listen and keep it curious. Follow us on social media. Feel free if you would like to binge more horrific content like this. Uh, join patreon.com slash crime curious or click the link in the show notes. And if you have case suggestions, send them by, by our uh, website, crimecuriouspodcast.com or email crimecurious at yahoo.com. I think that's everything. I think you got all, all right. of it. All right. We'll see you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.